We are starting a new series called How to Neighbor, and the reason why, the big idea is that the two of the biggest trajectories in your Christian life is being built into community and being builders of community, that when you come to Jesus, he wants to fit you into relationships, and he wants to make you a builder of those kinds of relationships. The more you walk with Christ, you, he, he draws you closer and closer to others. He wants you to be known. And he wants you to know others. He wants you to be loved and he wants you to love. He wants you to be comforted and to comfort others. And today we're going to be talking about uh, mainly being built into community. I want to talk about friendship. And how many here, uh, just to embarrass you, how many here have been unfriended on social media? Have you ever had that experience before? Come on now, the rest of you are lying. So the... uh, I mean, it's just like when that happens, it's like, how belittling is that? You know, you look at Twitter, Facebook, and the last time you had like five less friends than you had before, and was it something I said? Was like, you know, I, I, you know like too many family photos, like, okay, we know you got cute, adorable kids, but, uh, you know, like 50 a day is enough, or was I too political? Was I not political enough? I mean, what, you know, what, tell me, what happened? And so, well, in January 2009, um, you, you may or not, may not remember this, but a Facebook, or excuse me, Burger King I uh, read an ad campaign where they said, if you would unfriend 10 of your friends on Facebook, we'll give you a free Whopper. This is a publicity stunt. I don't know if you guys remember this or not. It, it didn't last long. But um, the way it's supposed to work is that if you unfriend this person, uh, Burger King would send them a notification that you've been unfriended for a delicious Whopper. Now, within a matter of days, it worked like better than they expected. They had over 233,000 friends unfriended on Facebook, and they were on the hook for 23,000 Whoppers, so they closed it down before they ran out of business. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it's like I like you, but just not like I like a hamburger. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, <laughs> you know, we're not quite there yet in our relationship. So it made me think, well, well you know, what is the value of relate? What is the value of relationship for you? What would you exchange a friend for? How much of your life is organized around friendship? Friendship is a dwindling value in our culture as we grab a hold of these ideas called autonomy and and independence. Um, This has been picked up on lots of social scientists. Lots of books are being written. One of my favorite one is a book called Bowling Alone. And and the premise of the book is that that the number one sport in America, the, the participation sport, is bowling. More people went bowling last year than voted, uh, except bowling leagues are down like 50%. So everybody's bowling, but everybody's bowling alone. And so they did this big study on this. And there's lots of things. It's a fascinating book. In the last 20 years or so, just about every social activity is on decline. Going out with friends for dinner at full-service restaurants are down 25%. However, going through a drive through restaurant is up 100%. People would rather eat a meal in their lap than have a meal with friends around a table. People prefer the convenience of ordering their food in just minutes because I've got too many things to do. I don't have time to, to do such things. Time with friends and neighbors on a whole is down 45%, but time spent with pets is up 15%. The result is that we are lonely and depressed. According to the CDC, antidepressant use is up 400% since 1988. More than 1 in 10 people over the age of 12 
are prescri- have a prescription for antidepressants. Now, depression isn't the only negative effect. Places where community is experienced the least, residents distrust their neighbor, volunteer less, vote less, socialize less, get, children get poor grades, children have poor health, uh, teenage pregnancy is higher, there's a higher dropout rate among high school students, crime is higher, suicide is higher, premature death is higher, and check this out. What social scientists have discovered uh, is that the correlation between friendships and positive child development is as close to perfect as they've ever found in data analysis of that sort. Now, I discovered an interesting term in the past week that I've not heard before, but uh, it's relational poverty. It's a term that's popular, relational poverty. We all know what material poverty is, and we try to do everything we can to avoid it because of the nev- negative effects that it has on its life. Well, relational poverty is just as detrimental, if not worse. Check out what the wisest person ever said in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. He's experiencing relational poverty. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Relational poverty. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. A few years ago, researchers at the University of Virginia took 34 students and they, put, uh, they gave them a weighted backpack. And they put them at the, at, in, at the base of this hill. And uh, they divided them up in two groups, those who were friends and those who were just there on, them, on their own. And those who were j- there on their own saw the hill as being steeper as those who had friends. In fact, they found as they dug a little deeper, those who were the closest, who had the closest friendships, saw the hill even that much, um, not, not, not as a steep a decline. And that's why at Jubilee we organize around community groups because we believe that life is a team sport. That we were never, ever meant to do life on its own. That the hills in front of us are smaller when we stick together. That separate we can't, but together we can. And you were never, ever meant to do life on your own. If you go back into Genesis, Genesis means beginning. So how things began. And you begin to see how the world was created. After everything God created, he, there was this, this refrain, and it is good, and it is good. He, you know, he created the sun, and it is good. The stars, it is good. He created the animals, and it is good. And then there was a moment where he said something wasn't good. He saw Adam there by himself, and he said, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. Alone. That's fascinating to me. So here's creation. Everything is perfect. Everything, this is before sin. This is before everything got messed up. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. Why is that? Well, because we were created in the image of God. God himself is a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, one what, three who's. And I know this, this doctrine of the Trinity is, is, is difficult to get our minds around. It's, you know, you read the Bible, okay, here's the Father, I read about the Father, he seems like God, and here's Jesus, and he's, he says he's God, and here's the Holy Spirit, and he's God. Is there three gods? So there's one God, the three persons, and they have eternally existed, completely honoring and loving each other for all eternity, which means friendship is eternal. Friendship, there's never been a time in history where friendship hasn't existed because it has existed within God. And if you want to know how you're wired, you need to look at who God is because God said God created man in his image. And we are created in it. We are created for this need for friendship. We have this eternal need 
for friendship. That's why when God created Adam, he says it's not good. Because Adam was alone. You see, this is going to be huge for somebody. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. Adam was lonely. You see, all of our problems in life arise because of our imperfections and our sin. But loneliness is the one thing that you have because you're made in the image of God. It's a problem that you have because you are made like God. That's the way he's wired it to be. So to say, I don't need friends, I can get on my own, I, you know, I don't have time for this, I've got to get ahead, and all, is a statement of not what's right with you, but what's wrong with you. It's a statement like, I don't, I don't want to be like God. I don't need friends, I don't want to be like God. Well, God has friends, and he wants you to walk and friendship. And the passage that we're looking today is all about friendship. If you're kind of the highlighter underlying person, 9 through 17, friends is mentioned three different times. Friendship is the subject that he has here. And he's communicating the friendship that him and the Father have. He says, he says, he says just as the Father has loved me, so I love you. So he's saying this relationship that I have with the Father, I want you and I to have. And then he goes on to say, I want you guys to have that amongst each other. And then eventually he's like, I want you to extend this to the world. It's going to ripple out from here. And these, these are, this, this blueprint that he puts out are the kind of relationships are meant to be in the church. So what does this Jesus-like friendship look like? Well, um, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says it's the best. Commenting on this section, section of scripture, he says that a true friend, true friend is someone who always lets you in. And never let you down. If you look at how Jesus was a friend to these men, he says, Jesus modeled for us that he's, he always lets us in and he never lets us down. So he lets us in. Look at verse 15. He says, I no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have, all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. See, servants don't really know what's going on in their master's lives. And so what he's communicating here isn't that, just, hey, you know, me, you and buddies, and we'll go hang out and play video games. He's saying, look, I want you to know, like, this isn't, I'm not pushing you away because a servant knows nothing what his master is doing. I'm calling you friends because I'm wanting you to know. I want, I'm inviting you in. I'm not pushing you out. I'm not just calling you to be servants who obey, but to share my life. I want to share my life with you, my joy, my pain. Uh, what, what I'm excited about, my thoughts. I want us to walk together. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity absolutely unique. Because all the other religions, their leaders like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius, they never related to the followers this way. They always say, that they, they know the life they died, and they left their teachings, say, hey, follow these things. If you want to know what I know, follow these teachings. Jesus doesn't say, because I don't just want you to obey, I want you to commune with me. He didn't leave just his teachings, he left himself in the Holy Spirit. When you walk in fellowship with me, he's extending friendship to us. This is absolutely unique. And we see here that Jesus' way of being friend is to let his, us in. In fact, the Hebrew word for friend is this, this word sowed, uh, like toad with an S. Uh, it, it's a word that means secret. Friendship in Hebrew literally means secret. To be a friend is to let people in on your secrets. It's to let people in. He didn't, again, he didn't put up the hand and say, okay, you just, you can come this way no further. No, I want to bring you in, Jesus says to his followers. Which incidentally is why you can't really, we're, God's not limited, but we're limited. We, we, you, can, you, can't have, you can't be friends like this with everyone. You can't, 
let everybody into this space, but you have to let someone into this space. You know, as much as I want to, I can't promise everybody at Jubilee, hey, if you need your yard mode, I'm there. If you're moving, I'm there. If you need someone to watch your cat while on vacation, just call me up. My true friends would never do that. They wouldn't do that to me, and they certainly wouldn't do that to the poor cat. They would, unless it was, like, if it's the rally cat, like, I want to I be in on the rally cat, which is fascinating. It's like, the, how bad is your season when, like, the most exciting thing in the clubhouse is a cat? And so, that's where it is. But you, you, can't, you can't extend friendship like this to everyone, but you've got to extend it to someone. There's got to be someone in your life that you always have an open door to. And they always have an open door to you. Let me show you this. This may help a little bit. So most of us, when we think about our relationships, we think in terms of acquaintance. It's like people that we know. It's like, it's why, you know, our friends on Facebook, well, that's why they're called friends on Facebook. They're really acquaintances or just random people, really. But acquaintance is, um, acquaintance is someone that you kind of know. It's kind of like that person you always see at the gas station or maybe they're like, you know, they, they're a parent at your kid's school. It's kind of like, I know you, but wait a minute, I forgot your name. Tell me again. And so those are the acquaintances. It's kind of like you have a, a vague familiarity with. And then there's affiliation, which is a, deeper. It, it means that if we have an affiliation, it, we may not be all that close, but we both care deeply about the same thing. And so actually, that's what a lot of people experience. In church. That's probably, you know, everybody here. It's like, not everybody in this room has this deep connection with each other, but you, you have a deep connection. You, have the, you, you share a deep connection. Hopefully with God and hopefully with his church. But this is where a lot of relationships, especially in the church, end. Is affiliation. Where we, we both like the same things. So we both like the same style of worship. We both like the same kind of preaching we like you know it's convenient so we have an affiliation but it has it it doesn't really have we don't really know anyone and so one of the reasons what community groups do is they pull us deeper into influence where you come together and we're talking about the scriptures and sharing our life and we have the opportunity to influence each other you know i'm influencing you and you're influencing me but i gotta be honest with you what what you when you go to a group, you'll, you'll definitely experience influence, but you, you, may not, you may not experience this unless you're willing to risk. Because this is intimacy. This is where there are no secrets. And you can't do this with everyone, but this is, the, this is where God wants to take you, friendship. He wants you to have people in your life that you walk deeply. That's why he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I, I'm, I'm pulling you in. And I want you, to, I want you guys to treat each other that way. Now, I got to do a little caveat here as a little sidebar. Is it because some of us, some of us have like the wrong people in this group. Um, some of us are being influenced by the wrong people. Proverbs thirteen twenty, Solomon says, He that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. What is he saying there? He says, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Um. There's a motivational speaker who famously said, you are the average of your five closest friends. So if you were out getting stoned last night, the chances are so were your best three or four friends. If you're walking in bitterness in your life, chances are so are your closest three or four friends. If you're apathetic about your relationship with God, the chances are so are your closest three or four best friends. Now on the, on the other side, if you're chasing after God with all your heart, so are your three or four closest friends. If you're like laying your life out, giving, serving, loving, so are your three or four closest friends. 
consider this. Studies have shown that when your best friend gains weight, you have a 57% chance of gaining weight. So if like your besties like has ice cream, just like slap it out of their hands like, nah, oh, there's going to be a 57% chance that we won't be friends anymore. What your friends are eating is a greater indicator of your future health than your dreams of whatever you imagine yourself to be or do. Dreams do not shape your future. It's the daily decisions that you make which are strongly affected by the people you bring in that circle. Do you want to take Jesus seriously? Hey, um, you need to be around people who take Jesus seriously. Now, I don't just suggest just like just walking away from these, but these relationships altogether. But you don't. Can you go back to that circle, circles? You don't give them this place. You still you still connect with them. Now, and that, this brings up like marriage. When you think about a marriage relationships, um, I read a study this week that marriage research says the single greatest factor in determining the quality of your marriage is the quality of your friendship. If you have this kind of intimacy, if you have this kind of we share deeply the same things, we're walking in the same values. The study said that why, why, whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of the couple's friendship. But that's just women, right? Men are totally different, right? The same study revealed that for men, whether they are satisfied with sex, romance, passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of the friendship. I guess men and women are from the same planet after all. They both need the same thing. Most of us think of a marriage as all pa- is passion with a little friendship sprinkled in. The healthy marriage is a friendship with some passion sprinkled in. I mean, I think, I, I think we need to redeem that term friends with benefits. Because actually that's what, when you think about a marriage, it's like you're friends with amazing benefits. And I bring this up because, you know, we're, when you consider all of who belongs, there's a young church and there's a lot of people who have questions about marriage. And this is a verse that no single person l- likes. And you already know what it is, because I don't even have to mention it, but I'll go ahead for everybody else. Do not be yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. You know what that says? It says that if you want to marry someone that is not even another believer, you will, that marriage will not work. Because you will never be deeply friends with them, because they, can, they don't share what you share. Yeah. Who do you want to be in that inner circle? It's not even just, do they, but do they, are they running like you want to run? Years ago, scientists were trying to decide why fish swam in schools. And they did something that I'm not, I didn't do this, and I'm not saying, it's kind of gross. But they took, a, they took a fish, and they found out the part of the brain that made them want to swim in schools. And they did a, a partial lobotomy on that part of the brain. They took that part of the brain out. And they, this is science, don't get mad at me. And so they, they sewed the, brain, the, the, the fish back together and they put them back into the water. And sure enough, the fish swam by itself, didn't swim in schools anymore. Now here's the interesting thing. The other fish started following them. So like, you know how fads start in high school? It's because some kid with half a brain uh, <laughs> went off and everybody else started following them. 
you got to be careful who you put in that middle. So true friend, true friend, that's my side points over. True friend always lets you in, never lets you down. Verse 13, this is how he never lets us down. Greater love has no one than this, than someone who lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus was so committed to his friends that he's willing to go to hell and back, literally, for his friends. And he didn't give up when it got tough, when he was in the garden. And he said, Father, I do not want to do this. He didn't go run and hide in a tree, but it says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. No burden he wouldn't bear, no offense that he wouldn't forgive. It's that famous hymn, What a friend I have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Jesus was always there for his friends. He is always there for us. And we should seek to always be there for each other. John 13, this is in the same section of, of Scripture, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, if you, you know your Bible, you know that's actually not the first time that's been said in the Bible. In fact, it even says it in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, it says that we should love one another. But here, it's a new commandment because of the new emphasis he put on it. He says, you should love one another just as I have loved you. Friendship is treating other people like Jesus has treated you. We all know the golden rule, which is to treat other people as you would want to be treated. But there's a platinum rule here. There's like one above the golden, the platinum rule. So the golden rule is to treat other people the way you want to be treated. But the platinum rule is to treat others as Jesus has treated you, which is actually a lot greater than you want to be treated. He calls us to this amazing, which means, which means that we can find people in the margins. We can find people that nobody wants to be around and we can befriend them because we have that kind of thing going on. Friendship isn't about creating a social ladder with you at the top. Jesus didn't go to the insiders, but the outsiders. He went out on the outside where the lepers were. And check this out. This may not mean much to you, but this is huge in this culture. He touched them. He touched them. Nobody would touch them. Nobody would get within 10 feet. In fact, they said, get out of our city and go die by yourself. Jesus came to them. You know, he could have spoke healing from his mouth. In fact, he did that many times. In fact, sometimes he just said, hey, you know what? When you go back home, your daughter will be healed. I don't even have to show up. I don't even have to talk to her. Healed. Why in the world would he come to this leper and touch him? He was saying, I want to I do, I want to pick the people that everybody picks over. I'm not going to go to the cool kids, the righteous kids. He's not shopping at Banana Republic. He's at the thrift store. He's going over the leftovers, last year's model. Even his 12 disciples, they didn't get chosen. They're, they're the ones that the Pharisees looked over. They're the ones that the Pharisee says, you can't cut the grade to be a religious leader. Jesus says, I'll choose you. I'll pick you. you call, I'm going to call you my friends. You see in John 15 where he says, 15, 16, where he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. That's just not Jesus' stamp of approval for Calvinism. That's him saying, well, you weren't the cool kids and I chose you. 
You were on the outside, and I chose you. What, see, in Romans 5, it famously says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us and brought us in at that point. How do you have the power to have these kind of relationships? Well, the power from all relationships really comes from our relationship with God. You see, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, as he's bestowed love upon me, I am bestowing that love upon you. And he's saying, as I have loved, and as I am loving you, I want you to love each other. And then take that out, and take that out, and take that out, and take that out. He refused to walk. You see, in John 15, he's talking about the perfect friend, and he's the perfect friend. He lets us in. He opened himself up for us. He had his arms stretched out wide on the cross, and he died for all those who sinned. And he never lets us down. He refused to walk away. He didn't walk away from the cross, but he stayed. And that gives us the ability to be vulnerable. See, the reason why we won't open up with other people is because we're afraid that when they hear about our lives, they'll either yawn or walk away. They'll be like, ah, that's boring. What a boring life. Or they'll just reject us altogether. Like, hey, that's really cool and everything, but um, I'll call you. Um, Remember, Jesus, he chose, he didn't choose the cool kids. He didn't choose the ones who had it all together. And this isn't like some Disney movie. You know what I mean? Like in the Disney movies, it's like, you know, the princess may be kind of rough on the outside, but you get in the inside and there's beauty on the inside. He looked at our rough exterior and he looked inside. You know what he saw? Something much worse. We were even uglier on the inside. He says we were like whitewashed tombs. What's the best part of a tomb? The outside, inside's death. He says, I saw the ugliness. I saw the wickedness. I saw the how messed up you are. And I loved you anyway. I called you my friends. And I brought you in. It means that there's nothing that Jesus can ever find out about us that would cause him to reject us. Because he knows it all. And when you feel that acceptance, when you feel that acceptance from Jesus, it causes you to be vulnerable with other people because you know how vulnerable he made himself to you. And here's what I've learned. You can impress people with your strengths, but you connect with people over your weaknesses. If you're always just telling everybody the best part of you, here's my awesome cute little kids, here's my awesome marriage, and everything's great, everything's fine, but you never let people in, you just build walls to people. But if you come say, you know what, I've just made a mess of my life. And you know what they'll say? You too? If, they're, if they have that same strength that you have in Jesus. Teaches us how to live with grace too. Makes us be vulnerable. Teaches us to live with grace. Here's the other thing I learned about relationships. They're really hard. They're really difficult. People are involved. They hurt us. We hurt them. It's not easy. It's not like, hey, friendship, you know, you make me laugh, let's be friends. It's harder than that. True lifelong friendship is hard because inevitably people let you down. Selfishness gets the best of them. They're inconsiderate, inflexible, blind to your needs, fill in the blank. If you don't know how to show grace to other people, you will never, ever have lifelong, satisfying, Trinity-like relationships. God wants you to have those relationships. The enemy of our soul does not. 
And so he'll take, they'll take that, he'll take that offense and take it up a notch. You remember the last time you opened up? What did they do to you? They rejected you. God wants to give you the grace to get past that, to understand that this forgiveness, that as he has forgiven you, as he has accepted you, as he has washed you clean, you can begin to give that acceptance to other people. People have hurt you. Hurt is a part of the equation. God wants to give you the grace to forgive them. Here's a question I want to end with. Are you a friend of Jesus? The big thing about Christianity is he calls us not into a religion, but into friendship. He wants to invite you in. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced not would it, ah, yeah, I go to church, I try really hard, I'm trying to obey some teaching, I, you know, I'm getting my, my theology right, my actions right, but you've never, ever experienced the intimacy of relationship with Jesus, friendship with Jesus. He didn't call you master, he didn't call you servants, he calls you friends. There's an author named Jack Deere who I've gotten to know here recently, and he says it this way. To feel the affection of Jesus. Have you felt ever felt the affection of Jesus? Not just knowing that he loves you up here. Yeah, I know God loves me because he kind of has to. It's kind of like what he's known for. But actually, like, experience that. Like, like you would another friend. That you can tell him things and know that he's listening. Knows that he cares. Knows that he's going to do something back. And that you can learn about him. That you can actually grow in your understanding of him through his word, through the power of his spirit that he's left with us. Do you know Jesus? Are you a friend with Jesus? He's calling you into friendship and he wants to give you the power to be the kind of friend with others that always lets people in and never lets them down. To be vulnerable when we don't want to be vulnerable. To forgive when we don't want to forgive. To open our heart back up again. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what it says in Ephesians. It says that, that when it defines forgiveness in Ephesians 4, 30 to 32, it says forgiving one another, being tenderhearted. And being tenderhearted does not mean that you're just, that you're tender, like you're nice and soft toward people. Tenderhearted means to open your heart up. So it's not like I forgive you, I just don't want to see you anymore. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is is I forgive you and I'm opening my heart back up to you. God wants to lead you to that place so that you can experience the kind of friendship that he calls you into to experience with him and you and him, but also to experience that kind of relationship with others.